Welcome to Real Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of the Jack Riley Adventure series. And today I'll be talking to author John Sneedon. John, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I tell you, it's great to finally meet you. Yeah, definitely. We've known uh, each other on social media for a while. It's, it's great yeah. to actually talk to someone. Yeah, that's quite literally uh, everybody. Uh, so I have I did an episode that's coming out in a week or two with uh, R.F. Blackstone, who's just an author I met through um, Severed Press, a, a publication that we both use. And um, I, he was doing a video like kind of like this podcast like this uh, about a year ago and asked me to come on just to promote a new book. I said, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, so I've talked to him before on camera and in, right. in like, I guess, face to face, camera to camera. And, um, but everyone else, it's a new experience. It's, it's kind of cool. It's a lot of people that I've, I've talked to for a number of years that I've, uh, finally been able to, you know, put voice to face to Facebook page. <laughs> well, it's interesting how I've connected with several of you guys who are down in Florida, Florida writers, they're Hugh, Rick Chesler, Kent Holloway. I haven't, I think this is the first time I've talked to any of you guys. Um, and it's just great to finally, you know, social media is great. It has its place. I've met a lot of people through Facebook, Twitter, but it, there's just something nice about finally getting to speak to you face to face. By the way, speaking of um, Florida writers, do you know Ian Malone? I know the name. I don't, I don't know personally. I've got to get you two connected. He, um, we actually use the same editor. I'm not oh, sure how much writing he's doing right now, but he used to live up here. I live in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And um, when I first got my editor, I didn't realize that she was here in Raleigh. I just found her online. I, found, I got some recommendations from the K boards. And uh, after the fact, I found out that she actually lives, you know, 20 minutes from me. Anyway, long story short, um, she used to have these big summer get-togethers where she would invite all of her writers and editors from around the country. And uh, one of the guys I met there was Ian Malone. And interestingly, Ian and I hit it off right from the start because not only is he a writer, he's a college football fan. I love college football. We both are kind of foodie types. We love good food. And uh, recently, he moved back down to Florida. He's a Florida guy. And not only is he a writer, but he has a podcast and they, oh, do, interesting. they do a great job. Uh, I'd love for you two to get connected. In fact, I'm sure he would be a great interview. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look him up and, um, and give him a, give him a message and see what's great, going on. Great, great guy. Yeah, no, I, I'd be more than willing to. I, I mean, I, this is the 11th episode of this show and, <laughs> I'm more than willing to talk to anybody. I'm 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 used to it after after being in. Oh, didn't mean uh, to add to your pile, but I've just no. put that little bug in your ear because Ian is just he's you know if you since he runs a podcast, I've listened to a few of his. He just is a very interesting guy to uh, talk to. In fact, I say this I say this in a very complimentary way. It may come off as not so complimentary, but he's very opinionated about things like movies and I, I actually love it because he and these two other guys get on their podcast and, you know, they're barking back and forth. He, he would just make a great interview. Uh, I'd love to connect you too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd be, yeah, I'd be more than willing to talk to him. Absolutely. I mean, definitely. Um, Maybe so, you can, uh, you need to set something up so we can all get together down there at some point where you are outside of Tampa, I believe somewhere. Down no, the West I'm, Coast? no, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in West Palm Beach. I'm in Palm Beach County. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I go up to the Tampa area. I don't want to say regularly, but I go up there once or twice a year. Uh, we have friends that live over in Clearwater. So I'm, I'm on the West Coast a little bit. We're, we'll go up into Orlando and go to Disney a few times a year. So, I mean, I'm up I don't in know that why I thought general you were in area. Tampa area. I don't know. No, yeah, no. I'm up. Oh, there's Jack. And he's back. All right. This is a common theme on some of the shows. This is <laughs> I love the, it. Is this the fourth show you've been on? I think it's the fourth show you've been on. You 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 gave me a great promo video of you combing my hair with your claws. So uh, <laughs> thanks, buddy. No, that's my drink. No, no. Oh, okay, that's my straw. I love animal distractions. Oh, dude, dude. 
dude. Off keyboard. Stop. Lawsuit <laughs> doesn't cut us off, right? No, oh, that's what I'm afraid of is he gets close to the keyboard because I haven't, I'm not petting him. There. Is that what you want? Jeez. All right. So, John, for those who uh, may not know who you are or are unfamiliar with your work, um, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the, the work you've put together in the last couple of years. Okay. So, I've been a writer since, um, well, I really got started about 2013, but I didn't put my first book out. You know, that first book takes forever. Mm -hmm. um, I put my first book out in 2015. I've been writing ever since. Um, my background story, how I became a writer, is, is kind of interesting if you wanted to hear hear yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm actually a banker by trade. I was a business management major in college, and um, I worked for a bank for many, many years. Um, you're kind of young. I don't know if you remember back in, uh, I'm sure you do, the, the 2008 real estate crash. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I bought my house in 2011 because of the crash. So thank you. Probably got a good deal. <laughs> yeah, I did. My mom, well, my my mom and my dad do real real estate. So uh, my mom oh, okay. was my you're mom was definitely happen. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, especially down here. I mean, Florida now with the boom, everything. No, yeah, real well, estate. That's where a lot of it started. Some of the yeah. overbuilding of condominiums and so forth down in Miami. That was kind of the genesis of a lot of it. But yeah. Anyway, I was a uh, I was a commercial lender at the time. Um, in the 2007 to 2008 time frame, but we, our bank had so many bad loans and all the banks did. It wasn't just our bank. All the banks were just the, yeah. the portfolios began to crash. So they transferred all the commercial lenders over to what's called special assets. And we basically dealt with all the problem loans because back then banks weren't producing any new loans. We didn't really want any new loans. We were actually trying to get rid of most of what was in our portfolio because everything had crashed. So we would have to foreclose on properties. We would have to call borrowers and tell them to move their loans out of the bank, refinance somewhere else. We were trying to get rid of all our real estate stuff. So anyway, the bottom line is, we were graded on how well we moved loans off the books. So you're basically working yourself out of a job. And in 2013, they, we knew there were going to be a series of loan, uh, excuse me, layoffs because our loan portfolios were shrinking. And I thought, you know what, this has been a stressful run, a five year stressful run because I mean, it's no fun running off your customers. I had to go to court and testify in court uh, you're constantly collecting past dues. You're, you're foreclosing on people that you care about. Anyway, they offered, they said, before we have these layoffs, if there's anybody that wants to take a voluntary layoff, let us know. And at that point, I had a nice severance because I'd been with that bank forever. So I thought, you know what? I'm just ready for a rest. And I accepted their offer of a, um, a voluntary layoff. And I got a pretty nice severance that would have supported me for probably a year or two. Nice. And my original plan was to, you know, I was going to take six months off and just rest and then dive back in and find another job in banking because that's what I knew. Well, during that time I was on, I think I was on Facebook and I have a female friend that I connected with years ago. And I saw she announced on Facebook, she's a very private person, but she announced on Facebook that she was an author and she might not be available to socialize much anymore because she was now like a New York Times bestselling author. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I sent her a message because I'd always, I've always been a big reader. Me and my mom both love to read. I love books. I'd even dabbled in writing a little bit. And I sent her a message. I was like, I thought you worked for the state of North Carolina. What are, you, what are you doing writing? And she said, well, the whole writing world has changed. She said, you don't even need a publisher anymore. She said, anybody can go on Amazon and self-publish. She yep. said, I, start, I threw a few things out on Smashwords. People loved it. And then um, I just self-published a few books. And she wrote Romance. And she told me, she said, John, I'm a New York Times bestselling author now. She said, me and my husband, we take two or three cruises a year. And that got my attention. Not the money part, although that I thought yeah. that would be nice if I could be a New York Times bestseller. But I had always wanted to be a writer. And I, I had no... The self-publishing thing was new to me. I didn't even know at the time you could self-publish books. 
So she kind of took me under her wing a little bit. She stayed really busy, so she couldn't do a lot of that. So a lot of it I had to do on my own. But um, that's where I got my start. It just happened to be me seeing her post on Facebook. It was it was just kind of a really neat way that it all worked out. Yeah, I was uh, I was doing arc reading for Jeremy Robinson for a couple of years, and oh, okay. um, uh, that's where I met Kent Holloway. I met Rick Chesler. I met David Wood. I met uh, Sean Ellis. I met King Gilmore. I met a bunch of people uh, within his kind of circle, um, and then it branched off to other authors as I started writing my own stuff and promoting and just sharing stuff on Facebook and author coming back and saying, Hey, you know, thanks for the share. I appreciate the, Oh yeah, no problem. I love your work. You know, just the, the, the common, you know, back and forth on social media and, um, but doing is the, that how Rick and Kent got their start as well. Uh, no, Rick has actually been writing for, I mean, he's been writing for about 20 years. Um, okay. so, and, uh, Kent's been writing for a long time too. Um, Kent just uh, ended up connecting with them and then started doing some co-author stuff with Jeremy with his Jack Ziegler series. Um, and that kind of helped. Um, Those two co-authored some stuff together. I didn't know that. Three books. Yeah, they did three novellas, uh, three novellas in the, continu uh, the Continuum series uh, in the Jack Ziegler chess team stuff. Uh, Kent, <laughs> Kent did um, uh, three books with Jeremy. Um, but um, I did ARC stuff for Jeremy long before I was a writer. And uh as I kind of got in the, the behind the scenes of it first and I kind of saw like what it looked like to put a story together or the questions that were asked or the conversations being had. Um, I just started picking Jeremy's brain back and forth and him and I would go back and forth regularly with just cause he was being a good mentor. Well, you talk uh, about and, a good brain pick. He's, he's the kingpin. He absolutely is. He, I mean, everything between uh, graphic design, I learned how to do covers from him um, because he did his own covers. He still does. Once in a blue moon, he'll hire somebody out to do a cover because it's just uh, above his bandwidth of his knowledge. Um, but all of the covers that you've seen for the last 15 years have been his. Um, He's got some amazing covers. Oh, they're beautiful. And all the marketing, the website design, all that stuff's him. He, he's amazing. And now uh, Kane, who's his editor, and Kane's a, a phenomenal writer in his own right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Kane. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he does a lot of uh, stuff on the side, too, with him. And um, But learning just the industry before I got into the industry was such a huge help. Because when I first when I started writing my first book, I kind of had an, uh, an idea of what was expected. Um, and not that I was great. But, uh, you know, I've always considered myself a good storyteller. And, and I'll boast that. I always considered myself having an ability to put a story together. I just needed to learn how to write. Um, sure. Because speaking the language is hard enough. Writing the language is even harder. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. It, Absolutely. Yeah, but that's that's how I started. I just, I, I had a leg up because I already knew some of these guys on a personal, well, semi-personal level before uh, getting into the professional realm of it. Um, and then uh, ended up having the opportunity to quit my day job recently. And I was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, I absolutely, I love it's it. It's a great you know? feeling, isn't it? It's a great feeling. I mean, it, it's not a great feeling because the steady paycheck at the day job was great, but at the same time, the inability to work consistently on books was like borderline depressing. And um, to the point to where I would get so glum and so hurt because I would be so tired and so exhausted that I didn't want to write. I was just like, I'm not in the right mind space. I have no creativity tonight. I can't do this. And then I'm sit laying in bed going, this sucks. Like, this is awful because I truly just want to be a writer. And I know I'm good enough to do it. I just need the time to do it. And I don't have the time to do it because I'm providing for my family. So now I'm like, this internal battle just starts like degrading. And I'm like, man, I was in such an awful mindset for so long. Um, and it just, it got unhealthy and it got just, it just got bad. And then eventually stumbled upon this opportunity, uh, to be the managing editor of collat or, uh, of I'm looking at your Facebook page. So I said collateral damage, uh, or your, uh, Amazon page of conundrum publishing. publishing. Yeah. 40 and slip, right. Of uh, conundrum publishing and now doing the, the podcast and I'm editing books every week and writing as much as humanly possible, more than I ever have really. Uh, so it's great. It's just, you know, I'm even busier than I ever was. <laughs> now, I, don't know you, I think I met you, Rick and Kent in that secret book club on Facebook. So how, how did you yep. get involved in that exactly? Uh, I was just asked to come on by 
somebody. I, I, I honestly did. And you were remember. already an author at that point. I was already an author. Yeah, I was, I was, I was a young author. I'd probably only put out a couple of books by the time they asked me to come on um, just to join and talk. And um, I'm sure it was one of those guys. I'm sure it was, um, you know, one of, one of Kent or Rick or somebody that, that uh, um, somebody messaged me, probably Cheryl who runs the group. It was probably somebody who's one of the, uh, the admins for the group. Uh, reached out to me and and asked me to join it. And I'm, I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's a, interesting uh, it's how these connections are made. When I first yeah. published, um, lady I used to go to church with, she invited me. She said, "Oh, you got to come to this." And she's a big Jeremy Robinson fan. And she said, "You got to meet Jeremy. You got to join this club." And I'm so glad I did. I'm, you know, it's not really about book sales, although they allow us to kind of market our books in the in the on the Facebook page. It's yeah. more about the connections I've made with you guys. So, so you were already writing at that point. Um, yeah, I was already I was already writing on that point um, by the time I I joined that group, um, uh, and then I just never looked back. And it's I mean, you know, I was still working a lot, and I can't really figure out how I put uh 28 books together in eight years but I, I i've done it and i don't remember how i've done it because the time frames are ridiculous and it's kind of a blur uh you're a prolific man uh we'll get in we'll get into it later but i'm guessing i probably have been writing a little bit uh, a little bit longer than you i'm guessing but you have over double the books out that i have out yeah, I, I I was putting together like five or six books a year for the first few years. And then I don't know how you do that. I, I just I can't even comprehend. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen now, um, but it it I'm still uh, attempting uh, four, uh, three. I would be very happy with four. I'm hoping for just because of plans that I have as far as just books I want to write, series I want to write. Um, but um, yeah, um, so what makes it so confusing? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. What makes it so confusing to me is, is I can write about a chapter a day, about 2000 words. So if you extrapolate, if you calculate the numbers out, I should be, I should be writing four or five books. So I don't know. I, I guess I spend a lot of time in detailed plotting and then things come up. Um, I'm not a, I really can only write in the morning. So if I've got a doctor's appointment or some family commitment in the morning, that day's completely out. So I guess I can, is that what you do? Do you do about a chapter a day, about 2000 words a day? Yeah. My, my goal is a chapter a day. Um, though, depending on the scene, depending on what's going on, um, I'll, I'll blow through that. If I have to, I'll go to five or 6,000 words in a day. If it, wow. If, if, I could never do that. That's great. Yeah. yeah I, I, I can, depending on just circumstances. So <clears> like, like some days I have to pick up my kids from school. Some days my parents do. So, you know, my wife works a normal Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, so just depending on schedule, uh, like yesterday I did, I did well yesterday, as far as when this video is recorded, I recorded two podcasts in, in one day, just because that's when the availability of the guest was. So I said, yeah, sure. Whatever. I, that's fine with me. You know, so you did I, two today. No, I did two yesterday. This, oh, yesterday. this is, you know, yeah, today, this will be the only show I do. Um, I don't typically do uh, two in a day. I usually try to do two in a week, uh, just for time purposes. But if, if scheduling becomes an issue with a guest, I don't want to not have them on. So I'll just sure. Whatever makes it easy for you. I don't care. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, I'll just, I'll make up time somewhere else. Like I'll just work later tonight to make up for it. Uh, or, you know, like last night I, I went really hardcore in the middle of the day cause I had an early podcast and then I did a podcast at 9 PM last night. Um, so, uh, I, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I, I try to do as much as I can handle without it, the, the writing being sacrificed, but I'll figure, you know, I'll figure it out time-wise and I, I typically figure it out. It's just sometimes a little frantic when it comes to not really deadlines, but just, I guess, self-imposed deadlines. But, um, but that five, but, um, or, six, that five yeah. or 6,000 word count per day. I just, there's no way. I mean, if somebody held a gun to my head, I suppose I could put 5,000 words down, but that's amazing. Two yeah. to three is about my max. Yeah. And what's crazy is um, like Kevin Tumlinson and Nick Thacker, they write uh, a book a week. You're kidding. No. And this is not like a 200 page cozy mystery or. No, it's about <laughs> 80,000. 
Wow. About eight, 80,000 words. Um, well, doesn't Jeremy, I think Jeremy's a high volume guy. Didn't he? I, I thought I saw a Facebook post in which he said he could write 10 to 12,000 words a day. Oh yeah. 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 He's not publishing as many books. Like he's marketing differently. He's doing things differently on his end. Um, so he's not producing the six or seven books a year to eight books a year that he was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, there's other circumstances that I'm not going to speak of with him just because it's, it's personal, but, uh, sure. he's, he has slowed down his pace, but a lot of it's purposeful. Um, and, um, uh, he's still writing like a nut job. He's just not releasing them as like on top of each other as he used to. Um, yeah, that, I saw a post or two in which he explained it. So, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. So there, there's a lot going on behind the scenes there with him that it, it's it's unfortunate, but he's he's still doing well and the books coming out are still selling well. And he still has, you know, he's uh, Chad Stiliski, who is the director of the John Wick movies, uh, has picked up his Project Nemesis series. Um, so he's going to be doing kaiju stuff with Jeremy, which I think is going to be nuts that the, the dude from John Wick is at the helm of it. Um, so Unbelievable. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's my dream. I tell you, that's, that's my dream to have one day have one of my novels picked up. I think yep. you would probably say the same. Oh yeah. No, I've already casted like the Jack Riley series. If it went to like prime or something, I've already casted it because that's fun. Um, isn't it? Yeah. Oh no, it is. I mean, in your head, you already have a character picked out anyway. So it's, it's natural to cast people cause you're, you know, it's just for reference. Right. But um, so tell yeah, me one of my, one of my main characters in the, my most popular series, he's, I want him to be a little bit different. So he's got long hair. He's got hair down past his shoulders. And I've always pictured, remember the TV show Lost? Mm -hmm. I've always pictured the guy. I cannot remember his real name. The guy that played Sawyer on there. Okay. I've always yeah, kind of I, pictured I can't remember him. his name either. Tell me a little bit about um, about the, the Delphi group. Yeah, that's my main series. That's my most uh, popular series. Um that's the one that started years ago when I first started writing. For those who are watching today, um, I know you're familiar with James Rollins, and I'm sure probably yeah. a lot of your viewers are familiar with him as well. The Sigma Force series. Yeah. Yeah. My book, I would say that the Delphi series is most like that James Rollins Sigma Force series, uh, where you have a group of people who are part of in my case, it's a private organization, but the government hires this private organization to investigate things that they really can't get involved in for various reasons. Uh, maybe it's a secretive sort of thing. Maybe they're, they need to do some, some stuff that may not exactly be legal in their investigation. So, um, so it's very similar to the Sigma Force group. Um, sure. I would like to think my plots are quite a bit different um, but you have a group of people and I've kind of changed now, but at the time I liked the idea of having a group of four or five protagonists because you could have different subplots with the different characters. Sure. Um, yep. you have different personalities and sometimes they clash. You could do crossovers. You can do, uh, oh, yeah. like secondary series is if you want to offshoot series is if you want to just to, you know, to extrapolate on those characters more. Exactly. Know. Yeah. In fact, I've got a novella and I'll offer it as a, a free book to anybody who wants to sign up for my newsletter list. I've got a, a novella and it focuses in on one character in particular and you learn quite a bit about him and it's just him in that novella. And then there are other books where some of the other characters, I, I would say he is probably, if I had to pick one protagonist, it's the guy with the long hair, but there are others as well. And some of the other books focus more on some of the other operatives. Sure. Um, you and I earlier off air, we were talking about the fact that some of your books and some of um, Nick's books, have, or, or maybe it was David Wood, has, has dealt into the area of, of alien invasion and, um, aliens being a part of history. When I started writing the series, the Delphi series, I didn't, um, I didn't even think about the UFO angle. But as it turns out, um, that's been one of the things that they've investigated. I think of my seven books in that series. I think the UFO angle has come up in three different books. So okay. it's just kind of one of those things that 
popped up and I've always been fascinated with UFOs. And so I thought that would just be kind of a cool thing for them to investigate. You know, the government might not want to be associated with an investigation into something like that. Um, but so that's why they bring in the Delphi group and, and have sure. them investigate, you know, on one occasion, um, just, just to give your viewers a little idea of a couple of the plots that involve the UFO aliens angle. In one of my books, it's the second book called The Portal. There's a signal, the government picks up a signal being um, broadcast from the Amazonian jungle. And um, the same signal had been picked up by a listening station in the Andromeda galaxy, you know, obviously mm -hmm. trillions of miles away. And so they hired the Delphi group to go in and investigate that signal, which is coming out of an area that's not accessible except by foot. So, and another thing about my books and, and this series in particular, um, I'll probably get away from this, but the Delphi series, it, it really is a combination of about three different genres. You've got action adventure, obviously. Yeah. There's some, there's some thriller espionage type elements, but then there's also a little science fiction. Mm -hmm. Well, thriller element, like in the book where they go into the Amazonian jungle to investigate the signal, I have the Chinese picking up that signal as well, and they send a group down, and there there is like this chess match between the U.S. contingent and the Chinese who are down there. Uh, I bring in, obviously, some elements of science fiction. Um, so that's kind of would give you a good flavor. And then my most recent novel in that series is also kind of had, it also kind of has the alien angle. Um, what happens there is there is a research station in the Antarctic and uh, there are some astronomers at a research station and they have to use some ground penetrating radar to examine the um, strata underneath their research station because there's been some shifting that almost seems like an earthquake. Well, in the process of using that ground penetrating radar, they pick up an anomaly, and that's the name of the, no the novel, The Anomaly. Yeah. Um, and so the, what happens is, is the government sends in a, um, the team, the Delphi group, to investigate. And they go down there, and of course, you know, a blizzard hits when they arrive. And um, a lot of people, you know, I run an ad for this book and a lot of people have kind of accused me of copycat the thing. You remember that? Yeah. The old classic movie, The Thing, which is more oh, of a horror movie. Um, and, and the atmosphere is similar to The Thing. It obviously takes place in, in the same part of the world. But I'd like to think my plot is very different. So if anyone's hearing this and they say, well, I don't want to, another rehash of the thing. The atmosphere is the same, but the plot is very different. Um, I've always loved the idea of moles. So in this book, the US government catches wind that there is a mole in their group as they go down there. So that's kind of one of the major subplots involved. But the bottom line is there is an alien spacecraft that crash landed in the Arctic, you know, eons ago. And the book is basically about um, what they find when they eventually go down. By the way, when they get there, all the astronomers are missing, either missing or dead. I won't go into any more detail and ruin the plot, but they're either myth missing or dead. So that would kind of give you, both of those books kind of would give you a good um, overview of how I've infused the alien angle into my books. And it, it didn't start that way. It just, it's just the idea kind of came to me as things went along. Um, yeah, no, that's like the big, um, the climax of uh, the Anubis Plague I did with Nick Thacker. It was, I got to like the final like exclamation point at the end. And then as I'm putting that, the, that, that part together, I kind of stumbled upon a really cool different explanation for the plague. And um, it ended up working out beautifully. Um, and, but it wasn't really anything I had intended to use. Um, it's not like, uh, alien or anything, but it's, it's, it's just different. And, um, uh, I was, I was proud of the way it kind of wrapped up the story because it was, it was just different and it was accidental to be honest. 
Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what people think of that when they get to that part, you know, that'll be near the, obviously near the end of the book, but, um, right. I, it, it's just something I stumbled upon while I was, I was writing it. Um, so, um, what about your, uh, you have a newer series out starring Drenna Steele. Yep. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, collateral <clears throat> damage and retribution, right? I'm sorry. Retribution and collateral damage. Exactly. Yep. Those are the two novels in that series. I'm really excited about this one, um, and it may be, I'll be honest, and if some of my readers um, run across this this interview, they may be a little disappointed, but with the Delphi series, they investigate things that are so unusual and weird, it's becoming harder and harder to come up with ideas. Sure. But Drenna Steele, I'm really, like I said, I'm really excited about her, because I really believe some of her books could someday be the type of book you could see on film or in a TV series. Um, she is a former CIA assassin who, and the first two books are going to be more, I would say, lean toward being espionage thrillers, but she is no longer with the S with the CIA. And I see the series long-term, I see her being as more like a female Jack Reacher where she's going to travel around She's going to get involved in some oddball things in different towns. Usually there's a mystery to solve. But these first two books are kind of a blend of what I would call an espionage thriller and vigilante justice. Okay. The first novel, and I really think this one, you know, I guess I'm patting myself on the back, but I really believe it would just make a great film. She is about two weeks away from retirement as a CIA assassin. She and her boyfriend, Trevor, are taking a vacation. They're up in the mountains of West Virginia. And while on vacation, um, she realizes she's being followed and they actually get run off a mountain road. Their car gets pushed off by a big black SUV. They go off the mountain down into a river. The car that they're in goes into the river. She survives, but Trevor, her boyfriend, does not. So she actually fakes her death. Um, and from that point on, the rest of the story describes how she is, is trying to track down the killers. At first, she thinks it's a, um, a mysterious figure overseas who, who happens to be at that time in the French Riviera. So she goes over there. But then there are various clues without giving away too much. She begins to, to realize that um, there may be the, the, the true suspects may be closer to home. Um, so, and along the way, and the way, the reason I said earlier, she's a little bit like a Jack Reacher, a female Jack Reacher along the way, she runs into just some shady guys, some nasty characters. And, you know, she kicks butt, you know, she's a woman and she's able to, in one situation, she gets into a bar fight with three guys and takes them all down. Um, it's just really a fun book. It's a fun series. I'm going to put a probably put a lot of advertising dollars into it because I think it's got a lot of potential. Um, but I'm really excited about it. And then the, the second novel, which you referenced collateral damage, it's somewhat similar. She goes through a lot of trauma in the first book. She loses her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was killed. Her daughter who was adopted by another couple. She had her daughter while she was in college and gave her up for adoption. And her daughter, um, I, Again, I won't go into the details, but her daughter gets kind of pulled into that first novel and is in danger of being kidnapped. So anyway, at the end of the first novel, she's got a lot of heartache. Her boyfriend's dead. Her daughter was almost kidnapped. And so she kind of just goes over to Europe and starts drinking heavily to kind of mask the pain. And uh, while she's in Belfast, she realizes someone is following her. She's lost a little bit of her street smarts, you know, because of the heavy drinking and because she's been out of the game for a while. She's lost a little bit of her tradecraft, but she slowly picks it back up and she then decides she's going to turn the table on this man who's following her and find out what's going on. Why is this guy following me? Is he trying to kill me? And the plot just kind of explodes from there. And it turns out there are a lot of bad people who are after her and uh, some other people as well. So, um, yeah, I would say, I don't know if you've seen um, the terminal list on Prime. Yep. No, it probably, no. obviously, I came up with the ideas for these books long before I even knew about the terminal list. Um, but 
in watching that, there are some of the same types of elements that you would see in that, or the gray man, um, yep. vigilante justice, uh, a lot of espionage, spycraft type stuff. So yeah, I'm very excited. I think it's, I think Delphi would not be, my Delphi books would not be a good, probably a good novel. To, it, none of those books would be good to convert to the big screen or the small screen, but I'm really excited about it. Trina Steele, because I believe she can. Not that that's, you know, that's not the reason I write. My primary goal is to to write books that my readers will enjoy, and I have a lot of sure. fun writing them. But you know how it is being a writer. Oh, uh, yeah. That we all have that dream. Oh, no, of course we do. Yeah, and and I, I've learned uh, the, the bigger and more extravagant you get, the harder it would be to realistically produce into something on the sure. screen. I mean, you know, you go so monstrous with it. You're talking, you know, dollars. You're talking, uh, would would a company even willingly put their name on it and their money into it if it's like, how much do we have to spend to even make this like a thing? And then it's, you know, if it's it's a, if it's a little easier, a little simpler plot, a little more like straightforward story, there's more of a chance, you know. And, but, at, you know, at the same time, you're, you're just putting together a story that you would want to read. So it is what it is. You know, I, I you know, yep. yeah, I, I write these big extravagant travel, you know, action adventure, thriller, archeological things. And I'm like, man, there, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving and shaking, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm just writing what I want to read. <laughs> so here we go. Well, I think yours would convert to the big screen. I think yours would be good candidates. I, yeah. Cause I mean, I write through a director's lens. Um, I always have, I always write when it comes to like lighting, when it comes to camera angles, when it comes to like, uh, suspense, I'd rather have like my Jack Riley character wake up in a gutter after a street fight and try to figure out where the heck he is. And then instead yeah. of showing everything and then him falling into the gutter and then the chapter ends, I'd rather the chapter start with like, what is going like you you know what happened and then he'll try to relive it and figure out what just happened and you know like that would be like the scene coming out of commercial on a show you would the guy would wake up he's like what and he's all beat up and you're just like well that's one way to start a scene you know i mean that's kind of how i think about it is i'm like how suspenseful can i be at the beginning and at the end not just the cliffhanger at the end you know and but i i do that because i you know it's just i'm still just a movie guy you know i love movies i love just uh the experience of it all and i mean i watch mostly older stuff um I'm, you know newer stuff it's got to be very particular but uh, a lot of the older classics like in my case it would be the indiana joneses of the world the mummy movies you know the brendan fraser mummy movies you know the goonies so like a lot of those classic action adventure uh i just i i like the pace i like the um typically they're not like overly overtly uh you know brutal like gory and bloody and like um that stuff's fun to write, uh, but it's it's not something I take in for like entertainment. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I get heavy PG thirteen <clears throat> minor R with some of the, like the fight scenes and like the because because I always say I'm like there is there there are no rules in a street fight. So uh, Jack or Zara character, they're not gonna play nice. They're not gonna be like oh, well, let's have a fair fight, everybody, and shake hands. No, they're going to pinch, they're going to poke, they're going to kick, they're going to knee, they're going to they're gonna do whatever is humanly possible to win that fight because at the end of the day, they die if they don't. So it's like... Oh, absolutely. And that's a realistic way to approach a conflict like that. It's it's not as Hollywood. And so my like the fight and action sequences are very like, like very straightforward, very brutal, very just like in your face because I... I try to bring in a little bit of a realistic element into it. Yeah. The, uh, in the Trent of Steel book of mine that's coming out this fall, the one that's set with my editor right now, um, that very thing comes up. Um, when, when Drenna is in Belfast, she happened, this is where the vigilante justice piece comes in. She happens to be in a bar in Belfast and there's, there's just really slimy guy who's like, uh, abusing his girlfriend right there in the bar. I think she's getting a call from one of her coworkers and he accuses her of cheating on him. And anyway, Drenna decides against her better judgment to follow him out of the bar. And she ends up getting into a fight with the guy. 
and she's basically kicking his butt. And at one point he picks up a rock and in her mind as a character, she's thinking, you know what, there's nothing wrong with this. In a street fight, you do what you can to, to, mm-hmm. to, to get the other person to kill them, to disable them, whatever you need to do. So she doesn't consider that unfair. She knows it's the reality of a fight situation on the street. It's survival. It's all about survival. Yeah. I mean, I have a scene, a quick scene to kind of introduce Zara in Anubis Plague, uh, where her and her friend that she works with, Dina, at the British Museum, they're just walking down the street after working late researching stuff. And it's just the two women walking down the street right outside the museum. And um, they come up to the first intersection and these two guys come stumbling past them. And Dina doesn't think anything of it. Zara is on high alert because uh, that's what she is. And they start following them. And she's in the back of her head. She's going, aware of one of the two is aware of it. Yeah, Zara is aware of it. Zara sees it. Zara knows this is probably not going to end well because I've had past situations like this where Dina's oblivious because she's just a normal girl. She's just a normal human being. She's not She's thinking. not an operative of any kind. No, 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 no. She's not thinking of anything negative going on just because she would have no reason to. You know, she's just living life. And But Zara is always on high alert just because she's trained to be and she's just used to it, unfortunately. And uh, so she just is thinking about it and they end up causing a problem. And, um, you know, uh, Dina has a flask that she carries around with her just because it's a part of her character. It's just a funny thing. And uh, so Zara takes a swig of it and pretends to be hammered. Sounds like a drenna. Yeah, she pretends to be hammered, uh, draws the guys in. Uh, draws him in closer and fake kick up. And um, one of them puts his hand on her shoulder and rubs it. And Dina's kind of, she kind of steps in front of Dina and uh, Dina kind of backs away. And Zara's just right there, just confident, but acting schnockered and uh, literally grabs the guy's wrist, throws the flask into the other guy's face. So splashes his eyes with booze. <laughs> Takes the guy, pulls him I in, knees him as hard as she can in the groin, drops him to the floor, puts her other knee into his face, out. Wow. And Dean is like, because uh, she doesn't has never seen this side of Zara. And Zara's like, no, these are animals that will do anything they want to us if they if they can. Like she's not playing around. She's right. not there, there is no benefit of the doubt in this situation to in Zara's mind. And in in while writing it, no, there wouldn't have been. Like the intent was there. And so other guys screaming, stumbling around, wiping the booze deeper into his eyes as he's trying to get it out of his eyes. And Zara just casually walks up behind him, watches him stumble, watches him, watches. Now she's kind of the cat to the mouse, just waiting, waiting. And then he turns around and she drop kicks him in the back, face first into a telephone pole, and then he drops. Love it. And then she's kind of like, and Dean is like, what did you do in the military? And she's like, why does everybody ask me that? And that's how the, that's how the, the, the chapter ends. And I'm like, the fight was over in that quick. And at the end, she's just like, why do people like, she's oblivious to what she does. It not being normal. You know, I love the fight aspect of what, what I think I love the most is the, the reaction to this other girl who had no idea. Yeah. That she had there just was this started, background to her friend. Yeah. yeah, the idea is that Zara had just started working for the museum like four or five months prior. So they were just kind of becoming friends. And but Zara's like, this girl's gonna get herself killed one day because she's very flamboyant, she's very outgoing, like she's very like the world is great, there's nothing wrong with it. And Zara's like, no, the world is terrible and everything's wrong with it, you know. But that was just her her military training and then just her her mindset. Um, and you know, she just decided I'm going to end this before anything else terrible can happen. There could be consequences in the end, but I don't care. Like I, that scene was, it was over in an instant, but it was one of my favorite scenes because it, it, it showcased Zara, but it also showcased Dina going, who are you? Like exactly. what? <laughs> to me, and, that's the my favorite part of the scene. Yeah. And she, and when she tells people, she goes, Oh, I was a linguist with, you know, in the British army, you know, she worked for British intelligence and she was a linguist. And yeah, she was, but she was also training with the SAS, like she, on the side, like she was a very, very capable woman and she is, but when she was serving, she was more than just a linguist, but yeah, technically her job was just a linguist, but she did a heck of a lot more than that on the side to, to just become a soldier basically. Right. And uh, now 
with her life. It's just, she's an adventurer, but she has her background and, uh, but the people around her don't know anything about her other than that. She's an, an archeologist and a historian and, and she was in the army as a linguist, but they're like, oh, that would be, that would make your job so much easier traveling the world. That's cool. Well, also the fighting side of her is kind of unknown to everybody because it's just, A, it's no one's business, but B, it, it's in, in her mindset, it's just Zara, you know, she doesn't find anything that she does weird. It's just, I am who I am. You know, she's very self-aware and, uh, doesn't did you hide. say that confrontation took place outside the British Museum? Did you say that? Yeah, it was down the street from it. So they they would leave the they left the British Museum, walked further down the road uh, to her uh, to where Dina Dina lives in an apartment further away from the museum, and uh, they had both been working late. And Zara decided, oh, I'll just crash at your house tonight instead of going home. You know, blah blah blah. You know, Dina's been begging her to be you know like just wanting to be friends, and Zara's very introverted and like, no, I don't like hanging out. Uh, so it was just the two of them kind of budding, finally becoming more than just work friends. And, um, it just so happened there's, uh, there's Google earthing, there's a road, uh, like two or three intersections. I don't know if it's East, West, South, I can't remember, uh, away from, uh, the entrance of the museum. And, um, there's some like bars and restaurants and stuff on that, on that street that I found. And I'm like, okay, it's conceivable that it's, you know, it's midnight, it's one in the morning and they could run into some drunkards. Uh, so. Well, the reason I ask is <clears throat> I, I was in London. I think it was, uh, I think this particular trip was 2014 and I was at the British Museum and we actually got kind of trapped there by a rainstorm. So we had to sit out there with umbrellas outside the museum for like 30 minutes waiting on a taxi. Uh, that was before okay. the days of Uber. So. I may have to go read that scene because I'll be able to, you know, picture it in my mind. But no, I use like street names. I use like the intersection that she had to fight at. Uh, I have the I have the street that it happened at in the book. Um, like I, I, I use actual like uh, uh, set locations to obviously make it more realistic. Um, yeah, I do the uh, same thing. Google Street yeah. View. I want to feel like I'm right there where the character is. So I do the sure. exact same thing. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, as far as like, uh, influences of yours, like, I mean, we all came from somewhere, uh, especially like creatively. Um, we obviously all came from somewhere, but, uh, creatively wise, um, like I owe a lot of what I am as far as a writer to, uh, the things that I've consumed over the years. So in this case, movies, particularly, uh, my relationship with guys like Jeremy Robinson, um, Ernest Dempsey, Nick Thacker, like I owe a lot of what I am to these people. And I, I try to make it very aware. Like I, I try to pay homage to that as much as I can. Um, but, uh, it's kind of like, uh, every writer's different. Everybody's different. Like I was very movie oriented growing up. I wasn't a big reader as a kid, but I consumed movies like a fiend. And I just enjoyed the action adventure stuff. Cause I loved the travel. I loved the big landscapes, the locations, the uniqueness, the history behind it. I've always been a history guy. Um, but what about you? Like, was there something that just kind of like when you first started really, really, really getting into like published writing, um, like, was there something that you can kind of call back on and be like, you know, without this, I wouldn't be doing this? Um, well, there's there's kind of two answers to that question. On the one hand, what just I have some authors that just stirred my interest in reading and I found their plots fascinating. So that there were a couple of authors I could point to who stirred that initial interest, although my writing is not, I don't write in the same genre. When I was a kid, and I put this in my bio on Amazon and on my website, my favorite author, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's uh, you know, a pulp science fantasy type writer, but I absolutely loved his book as a kid. And I'm sure even though that was a completely different genre from what I write in. In fact, that genre is not even really around to any significant amount anymore. I mean, because he was writing, you know, early in the 20th century. Sure. But even though that genre is not still around, there were elements, I'm sure, of his plots, his twists, his turns that are now a part of my writing. So um, I would definitely say he was he he, he gave me my love of books you know, even though I would call a lot of his elements in his books action adventure, 
there was always some kind of, I don't know that he necessarily had, yeah, I guess he did have moles. One of the big, I call it a plot device. One of the big plot devices I like to use in my books is I love the idea of a mole, you know, mm -hmm. somebody who's, who's there amongst the good guys who is, is not supposed to be there. He's, he's actually an antagonist. And uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs had a lot of that element in his books. But I would say in terms of right before I started writing, I would look at some of the, the espionage writers, you know, like Brad Thor, Daniel Silva, um, yeah. Vince Flynn, the late Vince Flynn. Yep. Um, even though I don't really write pure espionage, I would say that their writing styles have had a big effect on me. Um, you know, the twist and turns to a plot. Um, and here more recently, I, I'm reading other things now, but those are probably the, the espionage writers are probably the ones who got me started, even though, again, I don't really write in that genre. Probably a little bit different than yours, because I think your writing would probably be somewhat similar to Jeremy and some of the others that, that yeah. you read prior to. Yeah, as a reader, I, it was Jeremy, it was James Rollins, uh, Matthew Riley is a... Oh, so you are a big Rollins influence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I loved Sigma. I liked uh, some of his other stuff that wasn't Sigma related. I'm I'm terrible with book titles. I just got too much in my brain. But uh, a, a lot of his stuff that wasn't Sigma. A lot of the standalones I loved, like uh, Amazonia. Um, Amazonia was great. Subterranean was great. Um, Sandstorm, but I think that was the first Sigma. Alter something, something alter, alter of something, alter of God. I can't remember what it was called. Um, that was in the that was like in the jungles. Uh, that was another good one. Um, th there's like and Matthew Riley is huge. So his uh, Jack West Jr. series. I've read Matthew Riley. Yeah, both of those I would include as well for me. Yeah, yeah, and even his uh, Scarecrow series too, Matthew Riley's. But the Jack West Jr. series was big for me. Uh, that that's where Jack Riley's his name. It's Jack West Jr. Matthew Riley. So Jack Riley. Um, that's just my way of you know, not that Matt Riley would ever know, but that's my way of thanking him. Um, just Greg uh, back. You read Greg, I'm sure. Oh, Greg. Yep, Greg's amazing. Um, Greg is super cool. He was uh, he was a, a, an author that I reached out to years ago um, just to say hi and just introduce myself. And he was get him on this series, man. I'd love to hear you. Interview. No. Yeah, I've asked him. He's just he's one of those. He's like a, a Jeremy. He never stops. So he is very, very, very hard to. Um, and I think he keeps with. up a nine to five job on top of his writing. Buddy. He does a lot of stuff on the side. He does really good with, uh, I think he does IT and stuff. Um, oh, but, yeah, uh, I thought he was in IT. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, I, I have some guests lined up that are, in at least in my opinion, uh, monsters in the industry. Um, I just don't have set dates with them yet. So I don't want to be forthright and say, yeah, they're coming on my show because that's just a bad way to do business. Um, well, I'm a writer, but I'm a fanboy too. So I was just thought I'd throw that out there about Greg. Yeah, no, I don't no, no, think no. I've ever heard him interviewed. I'd love to see that at some point. Yeah, uh, I I will, you know, keep poking because uh, I've asked and he's just like, oh, you know, I'll get back to you. I'm doing this. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to like force you. I'm not, I just want to include you. Uh, you know, so and just make you aware that I'm here and I'm willing to do, you know, whatever you need. I mean, I've already, like I said, my, my buddy RF Blackstone was on and uh, he's in Sydney. So I had to do a podcast with a 14 hour time zone difference, uh, which was very difficult to schedule. So I was on at 9 a.m. and he was on at 11 p.m. So uh, it was difficult wow. to try and figure out because it's like, how are we going to do this interview if... It's either I have to do it super late at night or you have to do it super early in the morning. And um, he's like, well, you got the kids. He goes, there's no reason for you to um, there's no reason for you to. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm lagging. I can see my screen is bothering me. Am I caught up? What? I just did. Maybe I did something. I was just dimming my screen because I noticed my battery's no. running down pretty quick on my phone. So I dimmed. No, I think it's me. My Wi-Fi has been funky the last couple of episodes I've taped, so I, I got to figure that out. I think it's me. Uh, your side's been fine. My my side's lagging. Um, but uh, no, but it, it's so thankfully he's like, yeah, you got the kids. I'll record at night. I said, yeah, it's really hard. Like late at night, it's tough. But at night, I'm willing to do a show, but it's it's I'd rather not. 
Um, well, my cover designers in New Zealand, so I know the feeling there's never a direct exchange. It's always I send them an email one day and then I hear back from them the next. Um, yeah, I mean, Severed Press, who I've done stuff with, they're based in Australia. So, I mean, uh, my, oh, my, Jack, okay. yeah, my, my Jack Riley series is, is published through them and they're in Australia. So it's, it's a is day that or Greg's two. animal? Is that his? No, thing? no, he is. He is signed through them. That's where he does all of his. Uh, so he's been doing a lot of like Vernian novels. Um, so like his Primordia series is to the center of the earth series. Now he's doing his mysterious Island series. Um, all of those are through, um, severed press. And then he has his own, uh, publication that he does his, uh, Alex Hunter series through. Um, so he, he does both just for, uh, publicity and marketing, um, which is why I'll continue to work with, um, severed press with the Jack Riley series. Cause, you know, everything else that I'm publishing is going to be through Conundrum Publishing now. But um, I, I like also having that other entity, that other leg um, to stand on as far as just other viewers or other right. readers. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was actually Rick Chesler, actually, to think for that. He got me in touch with Severed Press because um, he's just like, hey, if you, you know, if they're looking for people in this story, you're writing might sound pretty cool to them. I'm like, all right. So I emailed them and they, they loved the manuscript. And then I've published six, six or seven books. I can't remember through them. And um, it, I guess I must have seen because um, I've, I've actually read about five or six of Greg's books. I've, I read about the first five or six of his Alex Hunter series, you know, Green mm -hmm. Hell. Um, I think Black Mountain is the name of another one. But anyway, I probably saw Severed Press in the, on the copyright page or something. But I, yeah, thought he uh, was, I thought he was somehow associated with Severed. Um, I mean, maybe some of the earlier books were. I know currently those aren't. Um, his his, oh, his other he was a part his of other series his his other series are his his, his okay. Vernian, the Vernian series that he's he's been pumping out. Um, like I said, uh, but, to the but not Alex Hunter. No, not Alex Hunter. Okay. No, not Alex Hunter. Um, it's either through a publication that I that I don't know the name of, or it's his um, his LLC. It's his business. You know, it's it's his publication. Um, but for that, people watching this, I highly recommend Greg's books. They're great. Oh, yeah, Greg's Greg's great. Um, he, he he's phenomenal. He's he is the master of like suspense sci-fi horror. I mean, he is awesome at it. Great action. Great, like just that eerie feeling that he can put into his situations. He he's very very good. Very very, um, uh, we'll say well astute trained author. Like he knows his craft like super super well. Um, yeah, I'm in my fifties yeah. now, and there's there's not much that scares me anymore, particularly when I'm reading a book. But boy, he's a couple of times in his books, uh, they, they get kind of creepy in a good way. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's a master of building suspense, and that horror element is. Uh, yeah. 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 He's awesome. Can't yeah. No. I. Yeah. He's he's really good at it. He really is. Um, uh, Jeremy is too. He's got some. He's got some horror novels out um, that he used to write under a pen name, under Jeremy Bishop pen name, and um, he's got some horror stuff that's quite literally terrifying, but it's super well done and entertaining. Um, uh, right. he, he's he's very good at it. But um, but uh, so um, kind of nearing the end of pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. So I mean that, that ton of information, lots of stuff. If uh, just real quick, people watching, please subscribe to the channel, especially if you've, you know, if you've liked John's interview, please check out his books on Amazon, um, you know, uh, like the podcasts, all that stuff. But um, if you could recommend a book um, for somebody that is just inexperienced with your stuff, uh, what would you say uh, is like a John Sneedon novel? I would say um, because my two the two series that I that are my best selling series are so different. I would maybe recommend one from each of those. If, okay. If I can throw two out. Um, and I would depending say on two, the genre that you prefer, it one or the other would be would be the right answer. What's that? I said depending on the the genre that you prefer, the style that you prefer, one or you know one or other would be the answer. Exactly. Yeah. If if. On the in terms of the Delphi series, if you like a book that's a blend of several genres with like science fiction, um, uh, action adventure, thriller, 
Um, I would recommend the book that I put out recently called The Anomaly, the one that I said was similar to the thing where they discover an alien aircraft in the Antarctic. That's kind of a quintessential John Sneedon novel. And my novels can be read as a standalone. So you could they could go back and start at the beginning. But if they wanted, the, the first one's really long. And I guess that's the reason I might not. If somebody wanted to try me out, test the waters, that's the why, That's the only reason I might not say go back to the first one. If you want to just see what my novels are all about, I'm going to highly recommend The Anomaly or the Drenna Steel series if you're more into the Jack Reacher type of book with vigilante justice, a little bit of espionage sprinkled in, Retribution, which is the first book in that series. Okay. No, yeah, perfectly Fantastic. Um, what about a recommendation of somebody else's? Something else that you would love somebody to check out, um, regardless if it's a you know more of an unknown name or just something that just appeals to you as a reader. I tell you, I have been and throughout my entire life, I've not really dove into this genre before. But in the last couple of years, I've gotten addicted to psychological thrillers. I don't even know what pushed me in that direction. I can't even remember how I picked the first one up. But I got a couple of names I can throw out there. There's a British guy named Mark Edwards, and there's an American woman named Frieda McFadden. Okay. They are outstanding. If you like kind of creepy psychological thrillers, there's not really a lot of violence. They're not violent, gory types of books. It's more of the mental aspect of it. Um, those two are outstanding. And the good thing about Frieda McFadden's is hers are typically not real long. She's got a bunch of books out there. And you can read them, you know, if you're a fast reader, you can probably read them in two or three days, but they are just outstanding. I think it's probably one of those genres where I'm going to be addicted for a little while and then I'll probably move on to other things that probably never be my favorite genre. But that's right now, that's kind of where I've been doing a lot of my reading and both of those authors are outstanding. Oh, very good. All right. Yeah, no, um, two names I'm not aware of. So that's that's great. That, that That's awesome. I, I uh, I've, you know, I, I, I'll always, you know, recommend, uh, I mean, the ones that I mean, I've loved reading forever, you know, would be, you know, like the, the chess team thrillers, the Jack Sigler thrillers from Jeremy Robinson. I, I just adore those novels, the way he blends sure. science fiction and history together with the military action. It's just, there's, there's four or five different genres put into one and it just works. It's, they're so good. Um, that's always been a big series for me and a big, um, influence of mine as a writer, uh, as well as just a fanboy of the series. I mean, I, I love it. So, I mean, I would definitely sure. check out the, the chess team series. It's called the Jack, Jack Sigler thrillers, but uh, the chess team is the team. Cause they go by King, Queen, Knight, Rook, Bishop. Um, that's their call signs. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a really just great characters, great series. So I would definitely recommend that if people haven't. Yeah. I'm familiar with, with that series. Uh, I yeah. haven't read any in the series, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. yeah. Just start with pulse. Pulse is the, the inaugural story. Then he goes back and does a, a prequel on how the chess team got together. Pulse is like, just starts out with the chess team as a team. Um, but it revolves around um, like, uh, uh, what is it? It's uh, Hercules and the Hydra from Greek mythology. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, you see the cover and it's got the Hydra dragon looking like creature as like the silhouette in the background. Um, it's the whole story is just it blends like cultural mythology and history with modern day science and uh, military application. It's, it's interestingly, the only book I've ever read by Jeremy Robinson, I need to read some of his books. It was um, I don't even remember the name. You may have read it. It's uh, about a young girl who's living down in Florida. And just, I think she lives with some adopted parents or something. And they work at a boat marina. And all of a sudden, these bad yep. guys show up and start chasing her. Yeah, and I can't remember that. I can't remember that. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember the name for the life of me, but I, I read it. I, it, was I really, it a lot. I thought it was really good. But yeah, it's. Lot, uh, I think it's from what people have told me, some of my friends who read Jeremy Robinson, I get the impression that's not his typical type of book. But No, it's not. It's not. He's more, um, he likes monsters. I mean, that's kind of his thing too. Uh, he, he's writing, right now he's writing a lot of hardcore science fiction, um, which have has done great for him. Um, another one would be like Island 731, which is one of my favorite audiobooks that I've ever listened to. Cause, uh, a lot of his books are done by RC Bray, who is like the man when it comes to, uh, voiceover and, you know, uh, voice acting. Um, so, um, and he actually has a character named Bob Bray in the book that he 
plays as himself. And that was intentional on Jeremy's part because they were friends. And he goes, I have a main character named Bob Ray that RC is just going to be himself in. So it's uh, uh, it, it's really cool. And that deals with the uh, atrocities of Unit 731, which was like the scientific military leg of the Imperial Japanese Army. Um, Isn't so, it a little bit like the old classic Island of Dr. Moreau is a little bit like that? Yeah, I, I could see that. Like, like I've done a lot of stuff with um, like the SS and like uh, the Angel of Death and stuff when it comes to like Joseph Mengele. Like I've done a lot of stuff with that. And um, that's kind of the exact same thing, but it's Japan's version. And some of the stuff that they did is borderline worse than anything the Nazis did. Um, so it's wow. actually terrifying. And like you can Google Unit 731 and just go to the wiki page. And like some of the stuff that pops up is like the war crimes is just absolutely horrific. And he writes an wow. entire story about a Unit 731 base that was on an island in the Pacific that got into like gene splicing and like chimera, like uh, like building animals and building creatures from the ground up. Um, like it's 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 a phenomenal book. The book's amazing, but it's like when you realize that a lot of his research was off of real life, you're like. Holy cow. <laughs> it's like, One of my books actually delves into that as well. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a great, great novel. And like I said, the uh, the, um, the 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 audio book's fantastic. Uh, RC just sells it so hardcore. It's so good. But uh, once again, thank you, John, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. It's been great. It. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I've, I've been really, really um, pumped when you uh, agreed to come on. I was like, man, I've been talking to John for years now. And uh, I just being able to talk to you, actually talk to you and not through Messenger. Uh, it's 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 been great. So, I mean, I really do appreciate it. Um, any more information on the show, people can reach out to us uh, at mattjamesauthor.com. I have a couple of links on my website. Uh, go to the Conundrum Publishing page on YouTube. Uh, this will be available on uh, audio podcast wherever podcasts are uh, available. Um, any questions, please find me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm more than willing to talk to anybody about anything when it comes to the show or about my work. Uh, find John on a lot of the same sources. Find us on Amazon for our work. Uh, I really do appreciate it, John. Thank you so much. And um, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you.